Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchman Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli military and security experts and uh, practitioners. I'm Amir Oren, and our guest for the second part of our conversation is um, Reserve Major General Gershon Akoin, uh, one of Israel's uh, most distinguished uh, armor officers and general officers. And... Um, we stopped um, uh, our first uh, conversation with your commissioning as an armor officer right after the Yom Kippur War. And uh, you stayed on uh, in the service, but you had uh, some pauses. Um, what happened in 1982 when you were already a major, a deputy commander of a battalion, uh, and you were not uh, uh, too pleased with some of the aspects of the exactly. war in Lebanon. I'll begin with the end. The end was that I wrote an article. It was in Haaretz newspaper. Yes. Uh, who brought the article to the chief? Elad Peled, major general that just died uh, Months ago. But you didn't sign your name. Yes, I did. He took it. He was really convinced that it is an important article. And he sent it to Zev Schiff and Zev Schiff published The military correspondent of Harvard. Published that. And uh, I got that uh, article in at the uh, border in the front of uh, Bka, uh, just uh, in the front of the Syrians. What was in the article? Uh, immediately I'll tell you. And Raful was uh, the chief of staff, became crazy from that uh, article. Be- what was in that article? In a way, I justified Eli Geva. Well, we have, we have to explain. So explain them. <laughs> okay. Um, right after the first phase of the uh, Lebanese war, when the war dragged on, Con- uh, before entering to Beirut City. Yes, con- contrary to expectations and to commitments, uh, there was uh, this feeling in the Israeli public as well as in the forces that uh, the uh, IDF is going to encircle Beirut and perhaps even enter it. And obviously, uh, a lot of casualties will ensue, both civilian and our own troops. One of the uh, brigade commanders, a very young colonel. And 30, very, very brilliant that time. 32-year-old Eli Geva, the son of a major general, um, told his superiors that uh, he will resign his commission if ordered to enter Beirut, but he would stay on exactly. as a regular trooper. Um, and uh, he was ousted from his command. Uh, and this is where your story enters. So, and that time I was a third time J3 of the 7th Brigade. 
actually, I served as J3. Operations officer. Yes, in that brigade with Yossi Ben Hanan, Nati Golan, and Anita and Kauli from 79 to 81. I wanted to go to be sent to study. And uh, everyone tell me, we need you, we need you. And they really squeeze me. At the end of summer 81, that summer 81 was a summer that uh, Israeli aircraft uh, uh, that destroyed two heli- uh, Syrian helicopters in, uh, in the mountains, in, in Jabal Snin in, uh, in Lebanon. And there was an engagement uh, with fire. Then uh, uh, Mr. Habib, created the ceasefire. Ambassador Habib, yes. And uh, we really have been just one step before uh, opening a war at that summer. But there is a difference between war against the Palestinians and of war course. against the Syrians. Of course. And that time, uh, November 81, I really succeeded to be sent to begin my studies, to study philosophy as I really dreamed in Jerusalem Uni- uh, Hebrew University. Before that, and I had very, very good relationship with Amra Mitzna. He was a division commander, 36th division. He told me, if you are going to study, he will be battalion commander, and he will be battalion commander. And you will be responsible that they will be battalion commander because we are agree that they are not really uh, good to do that. So, uh, but is that uh, responsible on the part of Brigadier General Mitzna to appoint mediocre commanders? That's exactly what he told me. But that's what you should have asked him. He was in charge and, and there... Actually, I'll tell you what happened. And it is very, very important, not about my story, personally. We can find two routes to react to the crisis of October 73. One of the Israeli Air Force, the other of Israeli armor units. Israeli Air Force... Uh, the head of the Air Force, Benny Pellet, realized that he himself cannot really lead uh, the transformation. And he gave it to majors, Aviam Sela, Jonathan Lerner, a lot of others. And it was a kind of startup. Section leaders or flight leaders uh, in the staff. Yes, and they really created a breaking through in the whole attitude uh, for using air power. We will not speak about that. It is very, very interesting. The armor units took the lessons that in every, at every night we just counted how many tanks still we have. And with that trauma, they duplicated the armor units. So we had six divisions before uh, 73 opening of the war. In, at 1882, we had 13 divisions. Even if you are counting, you can find 15. Before, peace with Egypt allowed Israel to half it again. Yes, but, uh, and then if the force just jumping to be a giant force, you don't have enough uh, person really uh, deserve to be battalion commanders. It was just the direct outcome uh, of that action. So quantity won over quality. Exactly. But uh, 36th Division was really well prepared. We trained to that uh, war from uh, 1977 when I was... Uh, this, this was the best 
and uh, most uh, heavily invested regular armored division on the Golan Heights, always ready for war either against the Syrian army or if needed... For Lebanon, Lebanon like in a litany operation at, at 1978. And that's what we don't have today uh, in the border of Gaza. If just this night chief of staff will decide to open a, an offensive action, he must collect the units. That time, the 36th Division, with two great, uh, very uh, sharp uh, armor brigades, 7th Brigade and, I, and, and 188, uh, and paratrooper brigade or Golan brigade, always located in the Golan Heights. And in one decision, you just can remove them to act in Lebanon. That's what happened in 78. So, and that my participation in all planning of that war from 1979, even with a lot of uh, reconnaissance uh, patrols uh, with Sayeret uh, Matkal, with Boogie as a, a commander of a paratrooper, re- a paratrooper reconnaissance uh, company, I really learned the whole territory. I participated in planning of all operations like Mifza Minoa, Operation Meloa, Mobile, and others. Paratroop and Golani yes. uh, operations. And therefore, I have my own uh, assessment about a war in that territory. In planning, at 1981, I came to Mitzna, division commander. I told him, okay, we are crossing the Awali River. And then another, Zaran is beyond. What next? What's the purpose? It is open-ended. His answer was, you're asking me? I'm wondering like you. It means that I realized that at the level of uh, field commanders, division commanders, they really didn't trust the whole idea of that war. Because next stop, Beirut. Yes, it is open-ended. And then what next Beirut? I, who knows? At 81 November, I went to study. Free from all uh, commitments, uh, I was uh, sent to study with being paid by uh, IDF. But no reserve duty? No, and I was still connected to 7th Brigade. At the moment uh, the war began, I came back to the 7th Brigade. I built a, by improvisation a battalion, and then uh, someone that just ended his job as the 82 battalion uh, commanding battalion command, uh, uh, armor, 82, uh, Nitsan Sela, he became the battalion commander, I became the deputy. At the end of the, that war, before ceasefire, I became a, a commander of a force. It was a task force, it means a battalion. After the ceasefire, when we removed from the east side, near Yanta, to the main front in the Pka, my uh, improvised... Facing the Syrians. Yes, my my battalion was just... uh, came to an end, and my brigade commander decided to make me again J3. So that time I was J3. And what really uh, dropped me to write that article was a kind of hypocrisy all friends of Eli Geva, like my co- battalion commander, and brigade commander, and a lot of others, because 
they really realize that he is the favorite. He is the son of a major general. And they have been his friend. And at the moment he did that, not only they stopped friendship, they spoke very ugly about him, that he was just a coward. And uh, Why know, did they do even that? with Edna Peel, uh, his J3 uh, officer spoke very ugly about this him. This is a radio personality. Yes, but, uh, and I realized that this is the moment to bring this issue to be clarified I, with I professional analysis. Are you saying that uh, these colonel's colleagues, because of their career calculations, and even though they may have uh, secretly and silently agreed with him, decided not to speak truth to power, but to try... Even one that I admire, Yaya, that was a paratrooper commander. He was excellent at that war. Before entering in Beirut, he declared the following to chief of staff. I am not Eli Geva. Whatever you will tell me, I will do. But if you want to do it, I need this and this and this, and not now because I am not prepared. It means that he uh, succeeded to break the uh, acceptance of silence. He was, he was uh, politically more astute. He knew how to phrase it. Actually, his message was similar to Geva's, but uh, he said it in a different way so that... Um, he but but not... he said that after uh, something was broken already. Okay. So the ones that really... Uh, so what, what was the message in your article? My message was with uh, just citating a lot of uh, paragraphs from uh, a lot of German generals, American generals and others that there is a huge difference between the obligation of... Uh, senior officer like a brigade commander and a, a soldier, just an ordinary soldier from the list. And the main difference is that if a soldier saying, it is not my interest to be here, going home, he lost nothing, he got everything, his life. A brigade a commander must really bring to all consideration about his career. He is losing absolutely everything. And I can tell you that even his father of Eli Geva complained about all his friends from Labour Party because he was a friend of Yitzhak Rabin. But they were in opposition at the time. Yes, but what he, what he complained against them, that when his son Eli Geva declared what he declared, they really uh, supported him. But after, no one gave him a job. And he went to the United States because he was lost here. And my uh, idea was we need the freedom of speaking of uh, senior officers. Even Stalin understood that after he dropped uh, Zhukov to be retired from his job as uh, uh, chief of staff uh, in that uh, summer of 1941. So uh, just to clarify it, because we have to, to run. Okay. <laughs> um, by supporting... Uh, a colonel who uh, was relieved because of his uh, views. You, a major, were relieved too after the chief of staff found out the identity of the I, anonymous... I'll tell you how he found it. Okay, uh, and, and then for several years, 
until the next chief of staff after that, not the immediate uh, uh, successor, but the right. one after that, um, uh, returned you to active service. But I'll tell you how it came to that. When it was written that that article was written by senior officer. So Ehud Barak was the first one to be asked by Rafael Aitan, he was major general. Why you wrote that? He said, I didn't write that. Listen, he told him. It is written here from this paragraph, from this book. I never wrote, the, uh, read this book, this and this. And then uh, the chief of staff of full told him, ah, you are really informed, so you know. He said, no, no. And he asked Mitzna, he asked all the others. And then he said in the radio, I ask everyone, everyone is both from my uh, senior commanders, a coward and liar. I knew very well from my, my wife that time, a very good friend of my wife. Today, she's a, a singer in the Israeli opera. She was a secretary of uh, chief of staff. And uh, she was informed that it is me. She told him. Who, who uh, informed? Who knew? My, my wife. She, to she told her? Yes. Okay. And uh, I think that uh, I... With I, your permission? Yes. I don't... And then... Uh, the chief was really angry. He said, uh, uh, how come that he knew we protected you? And it happened that uh, that night, I was called to my brigade commander. He told me, I was in Amik. You know where is Amik? Near Zahle. Okay, in, inside, inside Lebanon. Inside, in the front, near Beirut Damascus uh, Road, in the Ka Valley. Tomorrow morning, you are in Tel Aviv with the chief of staff meeting. So I was sent to him, he was sitting like that, and he said, you will never be anymore in IDF, not as ordinary officer and not as reservist. Now speak. After half an hour of discussing. That, that's, that's like Alice in Wonderland, the uh, um, sentence first and then the trial. Yes, and then after half an hour, he told me what you are telling me, I absolutely agree. I asked him, okay, why you are just sending me away from IDF service? He said, because you did that without permission. You could ask permission and uh, publish that in Bamakhane. The Army Weekly. And uh, he called immediately the officer uh, in charge of uh, management of officers, Rachat Segel, and he told him to just release Firing. me immediately. What is very, very important that everyone uh, not really knowing. 13 of April, uh, uh, 1983, it was the last day of uh, Rafael Eitan as chief of staff. That day uh, succeeded the, the chief of Armoco, Barkoch Vabril, to convince him to let me go back, to, yes. to enter back. And I got a phone call and I, saw that I told him, now I'm already in, deep in my studying. And then it was agreed by Raful that I'll be a reservist uh, battalion commander in the brigade, uh, the first brigade of Merkava that was established for a reservist. So I became four years, five years brigade co uh, battalion commander and reservist. And then 1987, I went back to join. When the chief of staff was another of yes. this guy, Raful's enemies, Dan, Dan Shomron. Now, we don't have too much time, so let's move after your um, 
command of, of battalions, brigades, and division, and you were chief of doctrine uh, for the uh, I, I did that in the Armour Corps, not Armour Corps, in the Ground Corps. Uh, Ground Forces Command. Uh, as a colonel, and then I did that in the general staff. As a brigadier general, your first uh, yes. general officer position. Not so, the first, that's my second. Your second, and then, then um, when you were the uh, commanding general of that same division, the 36th Division. Uh, and this is uh, a division, most of whose commanders went on to become major generals. Uh, it was uh, a prime position. Whoever was selected to lead this division was, of course, a comer. People knew that his next uh, stop would probably be a major general's position. And then you find yourself with the unenviable uh, order of uh, helping to withdraw from the yeah. Gaza Strip, uh, including the settlements, of course, in 2005. What went through your mind? First of all, it, was, it came at the end of my duty of that uh, command. I was already more than two years at that uh, position. And what really helped me, that was already more than nine years Brigadier General, three years a uh, division commander of reservist, uh, three years in the doctrine uh, in division in the general staff, and more than two years in uh, that command. How it came to me to get this order? January 2005, Chief of Staff uh, Yalon Bugi came to visit the Golan Heights. Uh, to, I took him to Hermon site. And uh, in the uh, vehicle, uh, armored jeep, sitting behind, he told me, I'm planning you and your division to be sent to uh, Gaza Strip to uproot the settlement. What you will say about that order? Now, the plan, before you say what you said, the plan was for the Israeli police to take part in the immediate engagement with the settlers, but with the division headquarters of yourself and another brigadier general to help in the so-called envelope around them. Please. I told him I really obey the order. Immediately when we came back to my headquarters in Afah, I phoned my father, and we must know that my father was one of those uh, establishing Gushemunim. The first meeting of Gushemunim, uh, the this, first meetings. The settler movement, which originally worked against the wishes of the government in the 1970s, then later on was uh, accepted. It was very, very interesting, even with Rabin and Galili. And, These are labor politicians. Yes. Uh, the relationship have been very complicated. Uh, Rabin, until his last day, uh, kept an open channel to all the leaders of the settlers and listened to them. Uh, it is very, very important to understand that. But this is 10 years after the yes, Rabin assassination. That moment uh, when I phoned him, his answer was immediate and clear. He said, Oya Broch, but you it's have It's a disaster. No, <laughs> but you have no choice. You must uh, operate that to lead it. 
And it was very important that he said that. It doesn't mean that he was not uh, one of those taking part in all the protests against. You met him during the protests? No, no, no. But my brothers have been there. Uh, there is a very nice picture of the son of my brother. He was at that time in uh, officer school in Karimon. And uh, those uh, today, she's uh, his wife. She was uh, his girlfriend at that time, standing on the other side of the fence, and they are speaking. He is from the, the side of... The nephew and the uncle. Yes. Okay. So, so it was important for you to get your father's permission or even instruction to obey an order, even is, though you do not philosophically agree with it. Yes. And uh, I think that's the fact that I came with realization of that tension really uh, made me very, very uh, central in that operation. Uh, I must really thank to Uri Barlev. From the beginning... The commander of, of the, the police, police district there. He said to Dan Arel, listen to Gershon, he is the only one really in the uh, appropriate route to understand what we are going to there, do. There were... Twinster, the police commissioner, and the Southern Command Major General, because it was under the, and, uh, under the army, being the, outside of this. When I border. came to, uh, and we really planned that for a long time, and uh, it was uh, an exemplification of all my education as philosopher, as a, a operational commander. And religious studies. Yeah, I had uh, my studies in comparative literature, and at the beginning of my preparation, I brought to the uh, brigade commander's movies. Just, for example, the movie uh, uh, about uh, Prague in 1968, how a girl with a camera can stop uh, the Russian armor. Resistance and dissent. And they really didn't understand me. My, they really understood me, my brigade commanders. And where I found uh, the resistance, in Ben Kaspir writings that uh, they are saying, instead of just training us to climb uh, uh, the houses and to take the people, uh, uh, we are just contemplating ideas. But really, this was the key, because my first slide to Daniel was, we are going to do that with obeying Zionistic ideas. We uh, unfortunately uh, ran out of time. Uh, it is very interesting, uh, your unique uh, career course, uh, bringing you from religious studies to a major general's position, to the head of the National Security College, and uh, mentoring many uh, young officers, Major General Gershon Akoyan, thank you very much for participating. Thank you very much. I enjoy it. So this has been another installment in the Watchmen Talk series, our guest uh, being Reserve Major General Gershon Akoyan, and uh, we will be here again for another conversation with another Israeli military or security figure. For the time being, Shalom from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.